1: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a more working somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make some money. My job is not just to entertain this, but to educate, it's to teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Is the move for real? Can we trust these new all-time highs in the Dow and the S&P? Former surging 251 points, latter gaining 0.78%. NASDAQ pole vaulted 0.98%. Let me give you a qualified yes qualified by the fact that this market's always one tweet away from giving up the ghost. Earlier today, the president tweeted, and I quote, S&P 500 hits an all-time high. Congratulations, USA! Trump stock, Trump stock, Trump stock. Maybe Trump market. Now, does that mean he wants stocks to keep rallying? Or does it mean he's got a free hand to keep tussling with the Chinese? Something that I think is justified, but the market rarely likes. Is Trump going to press the advantage? Or is he going to wait out the Chinese? Hmm, something that will likely allow our market to go ever higher. Or maybe none of this even matters, because the fundamentals are so darn good in this country, and certain stocks are still so cheap. Look, we all know the potential negatives. Our companies that sell into China will lose sales to foreign competitors. We'll get boycotts galore of American goods. The Chinese will block any deal that they have the authority to block, like they did with Qualcomm's acquisition of NXP. Still angry about that? And most important, our tariffs will make all the cheap stuff produced in China more expensive for American consumers. So then how the heck can this market put on such an incredible rally? Why would I think it possibly could last? First, it's a different bull that's snorting today. Ah. It's the valuable. For most of this year, ever since the last peak in January, this market's been led by growth stocks. In tech, it was Facebook until it dropped off the face of the earth with that miserable outlook. Amazon, Netflix, and Alphabet, formerly Google, and the Cloud Kings that I rage about all the time. In healthcare, it's been the wondrous medical device companies, Intuitive Surgical, Baxter, Beckham Dickinson, Boston Scientific, and, of course, the health insurers. And then in finance, well, it's not been the banks, it's been FinTech. That's called financial technology. Those leadership groups haven't really given up the ghost. I don't want to... Apply that. Many of these stocks are still rallying. But they just aren't rallying as hard as the value stocks on a percentage basis. What does it tell us? It means that the part of the market that's, that's cheapest is now leading us higher. Value stocks make great generals. If value is what's leading us higher, we're in a much safer hands than when growth was leading the charge. Let me give you some examples. I think the biggest, most obvious leaders here are the bank stocks. Now, here's a group that was dead as a doornail. If you own them as part of a diversified portfolio, you were kicking yourself for being so stupid. It's been all about the fintechs and MasterCard, visas, the squares of the world. Don't worry, those stocks are still climbing. But the old-fashioned banks, their stocks are climbing faster. Case in point, J.P. Morgan. Two days ago, the stock of the biggest bank in the world was at 114 bucks. Now it's just a shade under 119 That's a gigantic move for a nearly $400 billion company. But I'm not worried about such a rapid run for a simple reason. The bank stocks remain incredibly cheap after these moves. Listen to this. J.P. Morgan sells at less than 12 times next year's earnings estimates. And those estimates might turn out to be too low. Why? Because interest rates are going higher, which instantly makes the financials more profitable. Now, on Monday, I'm going to have a chance to sit down with Jamie Dimon. He's the CEO of J.P. Morgan. And we're going to talk about all this and much more. You don't want to miss this interview. Not only that, but we have a situation where both short term rates, and those are the control, ones controlled by the Fed, and long term rates controlled by the bond market are both rising. We have a rapidly growing economy. You know what's the lowest job claims that we got since 1969 this morning? With much lower inflation than the guns and butter in 1969. This is nirvana moment for the banks, especially if the Fed hikes rates next week, as many think. Nirvana. Hey, by the way, I like C. I like Citigroup, too, which is worth from $69 to nearly $75 off a of good outlook last week. But you know what? Even here, Citi sells for just 10 times earnings, and it's down more than 5 bucks from its January highs. What's not for like? Second value cohort, believe it or not, it's the industrials. You know, the stocks that we've really been terrified of ever since the trade war got started, well, they're leaders now. Today, Baird, a good research firm, upgraded the stock Caterpillar, highlighting how well the company's doing away from China. And it sparked a rally in the whole group. This piece of research put a spotlight on a sector that many investors have been way too worried about to touch. It was too hot! Now that we're starting to quantify exactly how much damage the trade war can do, the industrials certainly do look a lot more appealing. Even after its recent run, Caterpillar stock's gone from 138 to 156 in the past month, including three and change today. This stock is still off 17 points from its January highs. Hey, doesn't that mean it has room to run? And for those of you who are are really concerned about that move, listen. While CAT stock was marking time, its earnings kept going higher. The darn thing now sells for just 12 times next year's numbers. Even if China hits cap with everything they've got, I think you're getting a bargain. Bye, bye, bye! Now, I am not denying that tr- the trade dispute with China keeps escalating. I think it's getting hotter and harder. Really. No doubt about it. But last night, Jamie Dimon, the head of J.P. Morgan, told CNBC that he thinks, and I quote, it's not a trade war. I call it a skirmish, end quote. As he explained, quote, if you look at tariffs on $200 billion, okay, just make believe it all got passed on to American consumers. They have to pay another $20 billion, something like that. It's a $20 trillion economy. So the actual economic effect is not that dramatic, end quote i think he's right we're going to go over it again on monday okay because i got to flesh this stuff out it's just way too important got a good interview coming up as i told you over and over again we do have a lot less to lose than china does hopefully they'll see that and come to the table which point stocks like caterpillar were, were still higher of course today wasn't perfect the retailers got slaughtered why i think there's a belief that the retailers will have to eat the tariffs meaning they can't pass on all the price increases to consumers not only that but amazon can always undercut Any company that makes goods in China and sells them here. Do you know this morning I saw an advertisement for a piece of luggage from Amazon that seemed remarkably identical to one from from Samsonite, a company that's told retailers it has to raise prices? When I comparison shopped, Amazon was already half the price what looked like a very similar piece of luggage. So a combination of the competition from the retail Death Star, and either higher prices or higher costs caused by tariffs, could very well mean that the department stores can't make their numbers. And that's why the stocks uh, were shelled. Makes sense, although I'll have more on it later in the show. Plus, let's do some back of the envelope thinking. If the president ends up taking these tariffs to 25% come January, and all the current manufacturers keep making things in China, and every penny of the tariffs gets passed on, it comes to about $1,000 per family. Not ideal, but it's also highly unlikely. If the tariffs really were going to fall entirely on the heads of consumers, the retail stocks wouldn't have had such a mess today. Plus, um, we did just get a tax cut, right, For more than makes up for the tariff figure every time I do the numbers. Now, this may just be one big rotation out of growth into value with people selling the expensive stocks and swapping into stocks that sell at a discount to the S&P 500. But the bottom line is that's a far more sustainable rally than the other way around. So if we can just tamp down the speculative stocks again, I'll have more on that later in the show, and boost the value plays. Then you know what? This move, this move, could be built to last. John in New Jersey, John. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, John. I'm
0: calling about Eagle Materials ticker EXP as a gypsum wallboard manufacturer. It's been a big beneficiary of the reconstruction from past hurricanes, with mm-hmm. the stock rising dramatically after Harvey, Sandy, Katrina. Stocks now near its 52-week low with the flooding and the pending acquisition of USG. Do you think shareholders will soon be cheering? Fly Eagle Materials, fly. <laughs> well, you know, Judge, funny, uh, we're
1: one in one, by the way. Uh, It's funny, but you know what? I thought about this and thought about this and thought about whether to recommend it. And there's so many people who believe you have to have an infrastructure bill for this thing to go up. I'm with you, but I'd buy half only, half, because I do fear guide downs. And that's the real reason, even though it's down 22%, that I am uh, a little more tepidly endorsing it than you did. But thank you for the nice words. Fly equals fly. Dane in California. Dane. Yeah, Mr. Kramer. Yes. Hey, a couple days ago on fast money a guest uh, when she was uh, leaving said her company was bullish on lb l brands and and mentioned it's a huge dividend but i did a little research and i see they're
0: trimming off the bendel line which investors seem to like but there are so many other mixed signals on that stock and of course they got a big dividend payment coming so as much as i'd like to get a big dividend it would also be kind of fun to see a cow jump over the moon and uh, and i'm old enough to know nothing's for free i would appreciate your thoughts on that
1: well, you, you know, Danny, you raise a lot of good points, and it was true because they got rid of bendels, and that has been something that has been really hurting them. I think a lot of people feel that this is the beginning of a restructuring. I think Leslie Wexner does not want his uh, – I, I don't think he wants his reputation on the line here or, or his uh, legacy to be a losing stock. He made so much money for people. I, I, but I fear that the dividend is too high. I fear that there's still more changes to come that won't be positive. I'm strictly in the Don't buy. Don't camp. buy. Allen in North
0: Carolina. Allen. Hey, Jim. Booyah from North Carolina. How are you? The question: uh, I'm doing good. We're holding in there. Um, yeah, uh, I hope you guys is, are. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. question is regarding Duke Energy. With the, all the flooding we've had, it's hit their coal ash holding sites, and they don't even know the extent of the contamination until the water recedes. Is it a good time to get out or do I hold no, on? No, you money? don't need you to of, do
1: that. Uh, I mean, one of the things that's great about these utility companies is uh, as much as I know that it's the stories read terribly, I think Duke will be okay and its dividends okay, more important, which is what matters. It's not one that I've been recommending. People know that I like American Electric Power, and I can reiterate that I like American Electric, and I also reiterate that I like Dominion, which is very cheap right now, 4.75% of yield. Now, are the record books right? Are these price moves real? Who's the value plays? And I think they are. Oh, man, money tonight it's a watershed week for pot stocks, and I'm helping you make sense of it all, and easy. Tilray's investors could probably use a bit of the company's products right now. After a while, ride for shares, I've got a heaping dose of reality when it comes to the stock and all the rest. That is one of the few ways to play medical marijuana. It's up more than 50% today alone. But could the movement of Corpus Pharmaceuticals continue? Or is it a smoke screen? I'm going to talk to the CEO. And another day of volatile trading for the cannabis stocks, I've got the exclusively one of the few profitable companies in the industry. I'll reveal the name if you stick with Kramer.
0: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer, hashtag mad tweets. Send Jim
2: an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnBC.com.
0: Some bonds last a lifetime, some bonds inspire confidence, and some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in.
1: We need to talk about the vertigo-inducing run in the cannabis cohort. This whole group has gotten too hot. No argument here. Is it a bubble? Absolutely. But you need to understand how this kind of thing happens. First, I don't want you to blame the marijuana companies per se for the nauseating move in their stocks. When something like Tilray, the Canadian cannabis farmer, rockets from $17 to $300 were peaked at one point yesterday before plunging back to $176 in today's session, it's not because Tilray is necessarily being too promotional. I know the company shouldn't be worth $16 billion. They know it probably shouldn't be worth $16 billion, let alone $22 billion, as it was at one point yesterday. But Tilray's not the culprit here. In reality, this is all about reefer madness and the mechanics of the stock market. The short sellers will not want to hear this, but I think most of the publicly traded pot companies have been pretty honest about the situation. Tilray says the entire market for marijuana is about $150 billion. It's right there in the company's slide deck. Where'd they get that number from? How about the United Nations World Drug Report, with the notation that these projections include the illicit drug market? When I had CEO Brandon Kennedy, Kennedy on the show two nights ago, and I used a $500 billion projection, right, $500 billion market, not $150 billion, Kennedy didn't endorse it. Not at all. Brandon said, no, I like that. By the way, I came out with a $500 billion figure, and I kind of came with, in an odd way. Last week, I interviewed Brian Athide. He's the CEO of Green Organic Dutchman. That's a Canadian publicly traded cannabis company. It's often thought of as the Whole Foods of cannabis. And it was at the Green Market Report Conference. I asked Athide, he's a 25-year veteran of Procter & Gamble, what the TAM, the Total Addressable Market for Cannabis, is. He was reluctant to give such a projection, and he only mentioned $500 billion when I asked him about the size of the many industries that could be disrupted by marijuana, when you include all of them, medical, uh, veterinary, uh, recreational uses, everything from beer and tea to painkillers to sleep aids to epilepsy drugs to coffee. That $500 billion number included every conceivable type of cannabis products, plants, brownies, topical lotions, vaping cartridges, concentrated THC extracts that are like the cannabis equivalent of drinking 190-proof Everclear. Clear everything. Again, Brendan Kennedy did not endorse that pie-in-the-sky number. He was much more conservative on his own mad money. To get your head around what's going on here, you need to understand two things. On the one hand, there is absolutely a lot of money to be made from legalization, which is coming to Canada in just a few weeks and will likely make its way to the United States eventually. On the other hand, that potential is already more than baked into the marijuana stocks as I see it. Let me put it like this. It's a great time to open a weed dispensary in Canada, but it's a bad time to buy the stock of a weed dispensary in Canada. Two-way sells for 107 times next year's sales, not earnings sales, uh, which are currently non-existent for earnings. Uh, they don't have any. They got sales. Uh, I think that that ratio is absurd. Kronos trades at 23 times sales, a less ridiculous but still insanely expensive. Canopy trades at 15 times sales. Again, uh, more than you'd pay for even the fastest-growing cloud computing stocks that I like so much. It, it, it's a lot like the dot-com bubble, and many of these companies are upfront about that fact. Bruce Linton, the CEO of Canopy Growth, which sold a major chunk of itself to Constellation brands lower than where the stock is now, was asked about the bubblish, bubblicious nature of the group by the Streets uh, Street.com's Kevin Curran today, and he said the dot-com boom is the right analogy, You can't get more self-effacing than that, can you? The Internet itself was a very real, very powerful underlying trend that would eventually change the world. But with a few exceptions, like Amazon, if you bought the dot-com stocks in 1999 or particularly 2000, you ended up losing a lot of money. You lost it quickly. More than 300 of those companies came public and then went bust just a few years later. Like the web, legalization is a big deal. Like the web, you've got established companies trying to get in. This time it's Constellation, but that's most, you know, Constellation, just, you know, again, we always have to refresh, is, you know, that's a couple of Mexican beers, all right? I mean, they're good ones, Corona and Modelo, but that's what they are. Uh, Molson, well, we know what they are. And, and like the web in 1999, the hype is through the roof, but these companies want to protect themselves. Beer companies, soda companies, they're worried. Don't get me wrong. Something like Tilray is a lot more legitimate than, say, E-Toys. In fact, Tilray has many advantages over other cannabis producers. The company started as a medicinal marijuana grower. It has an exclusive partnership with Sandoz Canada. That's a division of DeVartis to co-brand and co-develop medical products. Plus, it just got approval to do a U.S. trial with UC San Diego, first cannabis trial authorized by the DEA to treat a small subset of patients who have a neurological condition called essential tremor. Is real revenues, $9.75 million this last quarter. And although the company only has $200 million in cash versus the $6 billion in the till from rival Canopy, Canopy got most of that money when Constellation took a major stake in the business. By the way, that's why Canopy remains my favorite name in the group. There are real but totally disclosed negatives. Again, totally disclosed negatives with Tilray, too. Most of its brand are licensed, uh, licensed from Privateer Holdings, the private equity firm that still controls the company. Now, Kennedy is also the executive chairman of Privateer, but it's a suboptimal ownership system structure. Kennedy also admitted that he needed more capital to keep up with demand. He pretty much told you Tilray will have to raise money, and the company selling stock to a secondary offering it certainly seems like the most lo- logical and obvious choice to me. That was a reason for me to tell you to sell the stock, not buy it. Yet the darn stock still roared in the stratosphere after our interview two days ago. The problem is that there's not enough stock to go around. Tory has a tiny float. It's only 10 million of its shares actually traded. Now, there's plenty more behind it. The company has 76 million shares outstanding. That's different from the float. Most of these shares belong to its private equity backer. Making things even more precarious, at least 33% of those 10 million shares have been sold short, according to the most recent count. I don't want to blame the short sellers here. They're acting and behaving totally rationally. But the simple fact is, this is one gigantic short squeeze where there aren't enough shares for shorts to borrow and sell. Remember, you can't sell a stock you don't own. you got to borrow it first, or else you get bought in automatically by brokers who don't care what price they pay, and it hurts you. And they got to find the supply and give it to the stock of the real buyers. And that's what spurred this insane move yesterday. So when regular investors decide they want to own a piece of a company like Tilray, the market just can't handle it. stock explodes higher. So here's where I come down. You need to stay away from the stock of Tilray right now. You don't know when they'll offer more stock. You don't know when the battle between the shorts and the longs will be finished. Tilray and many of its compatriots are simply too risky for me to recommend and too thinly traded to be worth betting on, and betting is the operative term. But Tilray didn't create this problem. That's important, people. The issue is that tons of investors believe that the Canadian appeal of marijuana prohibition will be gigantic for the cannabis industry and will quickly lead to full legalization here in the United States and bountiful profits for everyone. I THINK THAT'S A MISTAKE. There's not enough infrastructure in place for this to happen quickly, and even when it does, legal marijuana tends to be a lot less expensive than illegal marijuana, so the industry might not be as profitable as you think, or at least the companies that are growing and selling. So yes, these stocks are in a bubble, but no, it's not a joke. Touring and its peers are going to disrupt a host of different industries. I think the boom here is very real. It just might not be as investable at the moment as you'd like. So what's next? I expect a plethora of new IPOs to fund more cannabis growth. When that happens, expect most of the existing marijuana stocks to go lower, possibly a lot lower as the proceeds get plowed back into planting more weed, crushing pricing. And that day of reckoning may come sooner than you think, as there are plenty of companies waiting in the wings to come public. Bottom line, please do not get carried away by Reefer Madness. People are too excited right now. It will end badly when the stock market gets flooded with cannabis stocks. I just don't expect it to end quite yet. Again, if you insist on play, I want you to buy Canopy or even go with its top shareholder Constellation. Rob Sands, CEO, is really smart. But otherwise... Just be careful out there. Let's go to Lisa in New Jersey, please. Lisa. Hi, Jim. I'm learning so much watching your show. I am sure trying um, to teach, Lisa. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> I want to ask about Scott's Miracle Grow symbol, SMG. I picked up 200 shares at 78.18. I know the stock was down. But I think they're on an upswing, and I'm putting some money in cannabis companies. But the prospect of the marijuana industry and Scott's products, such as Miracle Grow, so I want to know your thoughts, and is it a buy? Okay. Uh, Scott's Miracle Grow is really, in the end, a company that helps. Uh, grow things, okay, whether it be miracle Grow in a garden, whether it be for a lawn, and it only is very peripherally related to, uh, to weed, so to speak, to cannabis, uh, through one division, and I think it's really important that you know that what you own is literally, what you own is literally a stake in a, a lawn and garden kind of company, so if the weather means more to them than, uh, than pot, so let's understand, that said, it is inexpensive. Adam in North Carolina, Adam. Booyah, Jim. Booyah.
3: Brown Foreman, I've owned shares of it for a couple of years. It has dipped from the whiskey tariffs. What are your thoughts on the company?
1: Well, look, you're dealing with a company that is truly an excellent company. And I can tell you, as someone who owns a bar, um, that the darks, as we call them, whiskeys, are selling well, particularly the boutique whiskeys. I don't think the stock is expensive. And I do think that the tariffs will not mean that much for their earnings. What matters is demand, and demand is strong. uh, And it's really the best way, more than Diageo, I think, to play the Browns, again, as we call them. All right. There's just too much supply of cannabis stock. I'm not. I'm trying to be unemotional and dispassionate here about this, and I don't think it can end well given what's been going on. We got much more mad money ahead. The reefer madness continues. Medical marijuana play. Corvus. is smoking on Walters up over 50% today alone. Oh man! But does the company have the pipeline to keep burning up the market? It's a real drug company. I'm gonna talk to the CEO. And Canada's is about to fully legalize pot on October 17th. How should you approach the sector? I'm going to sit down with a private player to help you make sense of the action, much more of a picks and pans, shovel kind of thing rather than grower, although they've got an angle on that too. And is it time to give up on growth in general? Don't miss my take. Please be
3: careful and stick with Kramer. Support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Need an escape? Drop into Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free.
1: As I told you earlier, we need to see a lot more IPOs in the marijuana space before these stocks start trading rationally. But until then, it's free for madness. What can I say? Just look at what happened today and shouldn't have, perhaps, in Corpus Pharmaceuticals. It's an early-stage drug company. It's focused on treating rare, fibrotic, and inflammatory diseases. It saw its stock explode higher when the company agreed to license a portfolio of 600 cannabinoid compounds from a privately held player named Genren Discovery. In response, Corpus vaulted nearly $3 at 53.6%. Come on, people. This move is pretty extreme. And we know investors are desperate to own anything with even a hint of marijuana exposure. So I can't recommend chasing a speculative drug stock after that kind of run. But I still think the story's worth looking into. So let's check, check in with Dr. Yuval Cohen. He's the CEO of Corpus Pharmaceuticals. Learn more about his company and what this deal means for its future. And- in general, how corpus is doing. Dr. Cohn, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Good to Jake. see you, sir. Nice to meet you. Thanks for all. having me. Okay, first let's fill people in again on what Corpus does and how things have progressed in Chiromas.
3: Sure. So I think I was last year, sometime last year. Yeah. Uh, we were in phase 2016. two. Exactly right. We we're in phase two clinical study for a bunch of diseases, and I'm delighted that we've moved forward. So remember, Jim, what we started in 2014 was around a man-made cannabinoid called right. lamabosin. Nothing to do with the plant, nothing right. to do with THC or CBD. NABISIM targets the endocannabinoid system, not in your brain, but rather in your immune system, and it modulates inflammation and fibrosis. Since we've last been here, we are now in phase three in our lead program. It's a rare, very dangerous autoimmune disease called systemic sclerosis. Mm-hmm. We're about to start phase three in another rare autoimmune disease called dermatomyositis. And last but not least, a disease I know you're very, very passionate about cystic fibrosis. Right. We completed a small phase two and now we've transitioned of to a very the, large um, phase two. Charity has given you money. Correct. We are the very, very proud recipients of a total of $30 million to date. In financial support from the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation.
1: And that's a big deal because the foundation is fantastic, people.
3: It's fantastic. They really are. Please support them.
1: Now, let's understand the difference between sy- synthetic cannabinoid and uh, the one that is a class one felony in our country.
3: Totally different. So, we are a pharmaceutical company. We start four years ago with a man made drug that focuses on binding to our endocannabinoid system, to receptors in our body. Doesn't look like the plant, has nothing to do with the plant, won't change your Therefore, it's legal. Completely. All our studies are done under the FDA in the United States as well as international studies. We have support from the National Institute of Health, from the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, and it's based on very, very robust science um, all around from the preclinic into the clinic now. Now how, about
1: the, how about the 600 uh, compounds that we just talked about? That's so different.
3: 20, in 2014, what we started was with a single compound. And the idea was we had a theory, which was you can control chronic inflammation by modulating the endocannabinoid system. Okay. And we've shown that now with linabicin. What we announced today is the next logical progression. If it works with one of them, we want to be the leading pipeline. We want to have the ability to tap into many, many more of these. That's where Genrin comes in. But
1: do you have to do an equity offering? We didn't disclose how much it costs. I'm worried that people might buy and then it would be logical for you to do an offering, frankly.
3: I Our, would cash if were posi- you. Our cash position is strong. And one of the nice things about the deal is it's fairly back ended. In other words, it's very generous towards Genrin, but more in the later stages rather than the earlier stages. And so we're sharing the risk.
1: Okay, so let's talk rheumatology. Mm -hmm. Um, Would this replace uh, methotrexate?
3: It could. Now that's used for rheumatoid arthritis and the idea would be what about those patients who respond to methotrexate but perhaps need some extra second-line therapy drug. Remember this field is dominated by drugs that date back to the late 1990s. Yes, and there's been
1: very little improvement in this field, and people are desperate, which is why this is so
3: important. So we're starting, and I can't emphasize this enough, not with the large diseases with anabicin, but rather with rare diseases where typically there is no drug approved. I'll give you an example. If you have systemic sclerosis, scleroderma. Which
1: there is, actually. It's a large population.
3: There really is. It's about 90,000 patients in the United States their mortality rates are 50%. And so these are devastating diseases. And again, first with anabicin, now with the generin compounds, we're moving first into rare diseases, but the generin compound is really interesting. A, it's different than anabicin. It targets a different receptor, for example, in your liver. Second thing about it is the NIH has agreed to fund a phase two study. Once we finish with phase one. NIH has done this. Correct, so a lot of our programs are sponsored by the National Institute of Health. Again, very different.
1: Okay, I need you to explain to our our people why it even works, okay? Because I think there's a lot of, it's taboo. Mm -hmm. There are are a lot of people who say it's a gateway. Uh, The
3: cannabinoid is just
1: this thing where it's a backdoor to to recreational. It's medicine, it's science.
3: So ours is totally different. None of our drugs is similar to the plant-derived cannabinoids. They're known as phytocannabinoids. Our drugs are man-made, they're rationally designed. They interact with your endocannabinoid system Mm -hmm. but outside of your brain. So the one thing they're not, for example, is they're not psychoactive. They don't change your mood or the way you feel. The flip side is also true. Unlike the phytocannabinoids, what hard drugs do is they interact with your immune system, specifically designed to reverse inflammation and halt fibrosis. Okay, logical
1: uh, question to ask mm-hmm. to me
3: is, Pfizer, Merck,
1: Lilly, all great companies, why aren't they doing
3: this? They are. What's interesting about it, for example, Johnson & Johnson last year announced a small deal with a private company focusing on the cannabinoid receptor in the liver for NASH. Oh, okay. That's exactly our vision. Correct. That's exactly our vision with CRB 4001, which is a drug, one of the lead drugs we announced today. What's interesting though is we are a tiny company, very nimble, but because we took the risk a number of years ago, whereas big pharma, remember they're slower, they're more risk averse. Mm -hmm. We're actually ahead of the pack.
1: All right. Well, let's keep that thought. And again, stock moved very big. It would have been easier yesterday or Monday. That's Yuval Cohen. He's a doctor, CEO of Corbis Pharmaceuticals. Again, I urge caution only because I don't want people to lose money, even on good companies. Bad Money's back yesterday. We're taking a close look at the marijuana boom, or some would say bubble, depending on your perspective. I've told you that we can expect a flood of cannabis companies coming public through various different methods. So let's talk about the next one. That's M. Hardine. Now, this is an interesting story. M. R. Dean is a professional management company that partners with cannabis producers and retailers to help them set up shop and run their facilities in the most efficient way possible. It's an intriguing concept, and they're about to become publicly traded via what's known as a reverse takeover, and Canada will explore that. Now, MRD Dean also invests in some of these businesses, and they recently spun off Growforce, That's a Canadian cannabis producer that's still exclusively operated by M. Hardin. Again, I think you need to be very cautious about this entire group. I made that point this morning, but we do need to know more. So let's take a closer look with Rishi Gautam. He's the CEO of Growforce and the executive chairman of M. Hardine to learn more about these two companies that he's built. Mr. Gautam, Go- Mr. welcome to Mad Money. Good to, see you. Good to see you. Okay, get that right, Gautam. Don't want to mess that up. Okay. Uh, why do
2: we um, need your company? What does it do? And Martine's a management company. We have been managing cannabis facilities since 2009. Our founders were pioneers in this industry, came in for early days in Colorado, set up a management company to operate cannabis facilities, cultivation, extraction and retail. I came in as an investor in 2014, really institutionalized the business of managing cannabis assets for license owners.
1: Okay, now I look at your numbers and you're actually making money. Why do you need to come uh, with a reverse takeover with some shell company when I think a lot of people would say, wow, this company's making money. I just want to own shares
2: in it. So we've gone through the capital markets process for the past year. We really respected the process of how do you take a cannabis company public in North America. The vast majority of the companies are obviously listing in Canada, of which the vast majority are doing it through this reverse merger. So what we did over the last year, we institutionalized the business also on the cap table. Thirty-five percent of our business is owned by institutions, long only money. And what we have done is set up the RTO in a very clean, straightforward fashion. It's our fastest, most efficient way to go public and we have institutional backers already. Okay, well, uh, you, things have gotten crazy. Look, yeah. I've, I've been
1: around, you've been around. Uh, how do our viewers at home respond? How do you respond to something like a ray, where it's obvious that a company that suddenly becomes, say, 24 billion, that was not that much that won't go, starts reeking of the dot-com era? What do we say to people?
2: I take a step back, okay. and I look at what are the actual companies with actual revenue, actual profits, okay. actual substance, and that's M. Hardeen. And that's our sister company, Growforce. We're a business that's built on the most experienced operating team that's been in the legal cannabis space over the long haul, irrespective of stock charts and, and highs and lows, the substantive business will prevail. That's for any industry, not just cannabis. So I look at the substance. Okay, so if I
1: want to grow marijuana in a legal state or I want to operate a store in a legal
2: state, I turn to M. Hardine. So, we have a select partnership group. Depending upon the state, the status of the state, is it medical, is it recreational? And Martin comes in as an operator. And we have two business models. We will come in as a pure agent, operate a facility for a fee, long-term management contract, okay. not too dissimilar from a Marriott flag where you put up and we run everything. And then we also take strategic positions. and We have flagship facilities. So, Nevada, we just purchased a flagship facility in Las Vegas. Um, We're looking at Boston. We're looking at certain key markets where we want to have flagship opportunities as well. So it really depends on the market. It's 50 markets in the U.S., not one. So we we, uh, base our business model based upon the market. Okay, so you're uh, executive chairman of one company and CEO of the other. Um, it,
1: just for simplicity purposes, why do you have to split them up? It might be great to have all under M. Hardin's roof.
2: Right, and, and what we did uh, earlier this year was we spun off a global XUS brand called Growforce. No. Growforce sits in Canada. But your CEO. Yes, it's a completely separate, independent operating entity. We have a separate board, separate management team. I'm literally the only overlay between both companies. Okay. We wanted to set up a global XUS footprint because of strategic investors and doing R&D and being able to expand globally. Now, M. is the manager. MRD manages all of the assets. It's a global management company. Okay. Growforce is our brand that allows us to, to expand without touching the states.
1: Okay, let's talk about legalization in general. What is your feeling about when it's going to happen in the United States? Or is it always just going to be a Can- Canadian phenomenon, October 17, we're going to have to do this piecemeal? We mentioned 50 markets. Is that what it's going to be for the next, let's say, if President Trump's re-elected? OK? I mean, obviously, their administration, the president, does not favor legalization. So will it be state-by-state? State, or is there something that's going to change?
2: So, uh, as a business uh, in the states, we look at every single market, Ed Mardina's experience in 13 U.S. states. Okay. We want to be buyers and buy these businesses now, given the fragmentation. We love the fragmentation. We love the irregularity but between the federal and But you don't
1: the think things the have state. gotten too expensive at that level?
2: Not yet. The, the, really? the lift really hasn't occurred yet in the states. We have this small window right now to continue to acquire these flagship facilities until the federal side really okay. reconciles with the
1: state. But is every market good? For instance, I follow the spot markets for, uh, for, ca- for cannabis. And in Oregon, it's going through the floor. I'm not so sure all those operators are going to make it.
2: And it depends on the state. So what we do is we set up vertically integrated management companies. We control everything from the seed to the shelf. So we're really price setters in the market, not price takers. So that, that again, provides a sustainable business model. Colorado, people have great things to say. People have not so great things to say. But our businesses are profitable that we manage in Colorado because we have the vertically integrated management system. Okay, so last question. The reverse transaction occurs.
1: What will be there if people do want to buy M. Hardin stock? Just be a
2: regular common stock. Uh, a at the regular end of today? common stock. So we have a very simple cap structure. There's only one share class. Cap My structure. shares are their shares, and it's a very straightforward approach. The, the only difference is we're doing the reverse merger. But at the end of the day, it's going to be a ticker It's going to have shares, and there's not subordinate. The only voting trade range. in
1: Canada, not in U.S. Yet.
2: There'll be an OTC uh, ticker. Okay. For-
1: Fair enough. Thank you so much for all the clarification. We're all trying to get our arms around right. the situation. That's Rishi Godam, and he's the executive chairman of M Hardin, but also the CEO of the other company he talked about, Growforce. Lots of documents you can learn. Caution is necessary. We have money it's back after the break. It is time. It's for the light. Report. Over <laughs> and then the light round's are Are you ready, Ski Daddy? over the light round question. I'm going to start with John in Michigan. John. Jimmy, Jimmy, Coco Pop. Jimmy, Jimmy, Pop. Booyah, baby. Don't quit And your that's day, the John. Marvin Gaye, baby. Oh, okay, okay. This hey, what's going on? This is from Flint, Michigan. And remember, Flint's home to the most dependable cars, trucks athletes and individuals in the world, and we're proud of it. You should be. Jimmy, I heard your dad worked uh, at 3M, is that correct? He representative 3M uh, sachine and Tape in Philadelphia. Well, listen, in my town, we feel you're the real 3M. Uh, We consider you the money market maker, and we thank you for all you do. Thank you very much. Hey, I I wish my wife watched the show once. If she heard that, she'd like me more. Hey, listen,
2: with that said, today my concern is proof point. Do you consider it an hors d'oeuvre for companies
1: to eat it up like Microsoft? Or at today's prices, do you hold, buy, sell, or dump it? Is that your, I thought the it was the first way, baby, thanks for the book. Okay, listen to me, and listen good, John. First, thank you very much. We are all concerned that, that really that Microsoft is eating their lunch. Microsoft has stepped up in this game. The only thing we can do is invite the company on and tell us how they're combating this theory. That Microsoft's kill you. But you're right to mention it, and I haven't solved the conundrum yet, uh, conundrum yet. I'm going to go to Brian in Texas now. Brian. Hey, Booyah, Jim. How you doing? I am doing really well, Brian. How about you?
3: Doing great. Calling from Houston,
1: energy capital of the world, and home of the world champion, Houston Astros. And, yeah, they're coming again this year. Yeah, they good. Jim, thanks for everything you do for us. Thank you. Believe me when I tell you. Our world is a better place with you in it. Thanks, brother. Now I want my late mom to hear this. This Show's starting to get maudlin. Thank you. I'm going to like. Okay, my stock is Mammoth Energy Services, sticker TUSK. I I look at this stock and I say to myself, Brian, if if you really like this, you should go buy Slumberjay because it's the best. Slumberjack can't get out of its own way. I'm in a with my channel trust, so I'm going to spare you the privilege of being in that by, by, by not buying that stock. Why don't we go to Eileen in New Jersey, my home state, Eileen?
0: Hi, how you
1: doing, Kramer? Uh, Kramer's okay. How about you, Eileen? Good,
0: good. Thank you for everything you do.
1: Uh, thanks a lot.
0: My uncle's been watching you for a hundred years. He's
1: ninety-two years old and you have helped him out greatly and he God bless him. And started God bless so him. And you know, a lot of people they, look, that was the day that was the age that, that my late father passed away, and I gotta tell you, they watch the show with great zest and talk about it with their kids and grandkids, and that's when I know I've made it. How can I help? Okay. Um, back in February you recommended this stock, West Rock, Right. RK. It's been sliding down since February, and I'm wondering, should I hold or should I get down? Okay, Eileen, I worry about this every day. My travel trust owns it. I talk about it with the club members, and I've got to tell you, I'm not pushing it aggressively because I think there is too much capacity coming on, and they've got to close this deal. Once they close the deal, then it's a buy. We are sitting and waiting, and it is killing me. But you know what? I think it's done going down. Not that that's a recommendation. Let's go to Mike in Illinois, please. Mike!
2: Hey Jim, long-time uh, fan of the show. I want Thank to ask you, you about Wisconsin Energy. Been a long-time owner of this. That stack. is an extremely
1: well-run utility, and I, they used to come on the show. I miss them. It's a good opportunity too. Bye bye bye. How about we go to Carolyn, Georgia Carolyn? Hi there. Thank you for taking my call. Oh, uh, you're quite welcome. My question is in regards to that. I know you were first against it. But then you changed your position and said it was a good buy. Well, I, uh, I said that it got it, you know, that it, it, in the twenties, thirty, it was bad. Uh, down here, then they missed the quarter really badly, uh, about as bad as I've ever seen a miss. So I, I, can't get behind it. I'm sorry. Um, that was just a really big miss. Sometimes you know you listen to companies and they really screw up, and that one really screwed up. Let's go to Scott in Florida. Scott. Hi, Jim. How are you? I am good, Scott. Real good. What's up? Oh, I'm just calling you from the happiest city on the planet Earth, Orlando, Florida. I didn't know that. And I, wanted to thank you for, I wanted to thank you for all the wonderful advice that you provide us, and especially yesterday when you said listen to conference calls, listen to earning reports. And I'm calling on a company that I'm heavily invested in called Transcentric. The ticker is TRXC. Wow. You know what? This is like a junior intuitive surgical. I've got to do more work. I am fascinated by these companies, but I can't say by it. I am not up to speed like you are, so we'll hold that one. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
2: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: Is it time to give up on growth? Sell, sell, sell! We saw plenty of weakness, both relative and absolute, in these stocks, even as the averages broke out today. Earlier, you heard me say that value is in, and J.P. Morgan may be the best buy. We will learn more when we sit down with CEO Jamie Dimon exclusively on Monday. But does that mean growth is out? That they can't coexist? No, not at all. Look, it's true that there were some notable growth stock declines today. Red Hat, one of the cloud kings, whiffed, and its stock got hammered, down more than 9 bucks. Did it make sense? It does feel a little deserved when you hear that pricing wasn't as great as management expected. Worse, it sounds like there's a bit of a price board breaking out in the industry. As CEO Jim Whitehurst told us, and I quote, the one deal that did not renew was a rare competitive loss to a legacy on-premise provider based on pricing, end quote. Ouch! But on the other hand, this stock has been going down for ages. Falling from 176 to 134. So maybe you gotta start thinking it's been discounted. You know, I love my dog NVIDIA. But NVIDIA, the stock, took it on the chin today, down more than 6 bucks because of a Morgan Stanley note that mentioned the slower-than-expected performance of the company's new gaming chips, which is one of their bread-and-butter products. However, if you bothered to read the darn report, as I did, you'd see no quarrel with NVIDIA's greatness and nothing that would lower the price target or the earnings estimates. In fact, I found the piece to be reassuring because it's in keeping with exactly what's happened every time NVIDIA introduces new graphic chips. Call me a buyer, especially now that the value stock in the group Micron gave you a disappointing or at least tepid outlook in its conference call this very evening. Plus, we got a plenty of growth stocks that are doing quite well, especially the ones that have underperformed for ages. Disney announced today that its ESPN Plus streaming service just passed one million subscribers. Yes, we know that Disney and Comcast parent company, this network are still involved in what could be a heated bidding war for Sky, a gem of an international cable asset. but. To me, this turn at ESPN changes the entire Disney story. Remember, ESPN's weakness was what made Disney stock such a laggard to begin with. Organic growth from ESPN? Love it! What else? I don't want to give up on any of these department store stocks that people think will be hurt by tariffs. Sure, Kohl's, for example, has at times gotten up to, say, 20% of its merchandise from China. But do you think they're oblivious to what's going on? Come on. Kohl's has so many countries it can source from, it's only a matter of time before they move out of China altogether. I'm telling members of the ActionLordsPlus.com club, do not give up the shit for this well-run retailer. Finally, there are Amazon and Alphabet, two Uber growth stocks that so many are worried about because they seem so expensive. The thing is, these two are news-driven stocks. Amazon just came out with new devices that are going to spur more buying, and it remains both a phenomenal retailer and the dominant way to play the cloud, plus a fantastic advertising way. How about Alphabet? I think that Waymo, its autonomous car division, is about to make big headlines in the fourth quarter. Future's here. You bail on Alphabet now, you missed it. So think before you sell the growth stocks. Plus, please remember, just a few days ago, you probably hated what's going up today. And we're in love with the ones that went down. By the way, that's why I'm constantly telling you to stay diversified. You had to own some value even when it was out of style on the Wall Street fashion show because otherwise you would have missed today's move. And now you need to hang on to some growth for the very same reason. Stick with Kramer. I know it's only Thursday, but I can't wait till Monday when we interview Jamie Dimon, who is the CEO of J.P. Morton, exclusively. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow.
0: Some bonds last a lifetime. Some bonds inspire confidence. And some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in.